Why don't you give him some praise? He's so good. Woo! Sup? Sup, Australia? You guys all well? It's good. You guys have got really good weather here. And a whole lot of other things, but I'm loving your weather. Uh, but hey, um, just give me a wave if you're here for the very first time tonight. Like, in church for the very first time, or in this church. Can you lift your hand nice and high? Awesome. Anyone else? Great. Awesome, guys. Hey, you're really welcome here. And uh, you don't have to do anything here tonight. You just have to sit and listen. If you don't even want to listen, you can leave. But just understand that the God that I know, the God that a lot of people here know, uh, He's not into coincidences. And I believe that tonight He's brought you here to hear something. And uh, I just encourage you to sit back for the next 45 minutes and, and just open up your heart and, uh, and just let God do something. Because um, the God that we serve is, is not dead. He's alive. And He's here. And uh, the Bible says that, you know, when two or more gather in, gather in His name, He is present. And I've got nothing to stand on but the Word of God. And for me, that is the solution to every problem. And it's where all my wisdom, all my knowledge comes from. And I just believe you know, we're called to just believe, and that's what I'm going to share about here tonight is that we're called to just believe. Um, so good to have you here. Welcome. You've come on a really good night. Well, I think it's going to be really good anyway. Uh, <laughs> turn to the person next to you and say, this Kiwi's going to be all right. You guys can take your seats. Do you, do you just want to hang out with me? Is that all right? Stretch your legs. Give it a little stretch. Let's give it up for the band. You guys were amazing. Amazing. World class. I'm just going to let the keyboarder pray. I'll pray for you. Is that okay? Hi. Yeah, come stand here. How are you? Good. Literally, it's like an angel singing when this girl worships. <laughs> awesome. These people like you. These people like you. And uh, I'm just going to get you to the end of the meeting because I'm going to pray for people tonight. I'm going to pray for healing. Uh, you know, I can sit here and just talk about healings all night and about how God's healed people. And I've seen cancer be healed straight away in people's lives. I've seen tumors fall off people. I was talking to the guys before about one of the guys that was hosting me. His whole body filled with eczema, like literally like peeling off his hands. And I just prayed for him in the green room like I did with Isaac. I prayed for Isaac in the green room and gave him a word of knowledge, and he's crying. And it's all right, guys. Guys are good. It's good to cry. But I did that with a guy that was hosting me, and and literally all the eczema and everything just fell off his body in the green room. Like he took off his jacket because it was all through his jacket and shaking, just crying. You know. And I've prayed for a woman that back brace, neck brace, in a car accident, fractured spine, shattered pelvis in four places could not even, let alone walk, uh, within 20 minutes praying for her, she's taken everything off in the meeting, doing cartwheels on the altar. Um, and you're going to minister with me tonight. And I believe tonight that after tonight, as you minister, people are going to get healed as you worship. That we don't have to try and focus on trying to get to heaven. We just need to focus on bringing heaven to earth. And you bring heaven to earth. It's like, I want you on my team. If we like playing Bull Rush, do you guys play Bull Rush here? You know, like the captains, you know, I'm picking her first. And like, you're, you, what is your name? 
Piata, you're Māori. Family's Māori. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Just give me your hand. Piata, I thank you in Jesus' name for your beautiful life. And I thank you right now that as she sings, healing happens. Because <laughs> you, Holy Spirit, you come when we gather together. And I thank you for the anointing on her life. As she sings, as her mouth opens, people begin to get healed. We don't have to lay hands on them, God. They're just in the meeting. Holy Spirit heals people. Be bold. I see you writing music. I feel like there's some lyrics already in your heart and in your spirit. And you think, oh, that's, that's not, you know, it's not, not going to be any good. They are beautiful words. Those are the words that are going to bring healing to people. Freedom. I'm talking about physical healing. I'm talking about depression, anxiety, physical healing also. Mental healing in Jesus' name. But I thank you right now that you will no longer have lack of energy. I feel like this in your body that sometimes you get really, you have no energy by halfway through the day and I believe there's something wrong with your immune system and I just pray against that right now. Allergies and anything that's wrong with your body, I declare in Jesus' name that that leaves. And I thank you. I thank you for, there is a couple of years where I feel like you were astray from God and maybe you are just turning up and it looks like that you were following him, but you actually weren't and there was a lot of stuff happening in your world. And uh, I just thank you that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper and any of those lies that the devil tried to pull in your world and, you know, you just need to know that those years, that they're not going to dictate your future. He loves you. You're forgiven. Yeah. Right now, I just break that off you in Jesus' name. From her head to her toe, fill it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Give it up for your friend. She's amazing. I hope that was for you. That was for you. Good. Awesome. So good. You guys can go. Go sit down. Hang out. We'll just, you can hang out with me. This makes it more like spiritual. Awesome. (laughs) Sort of thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so kia ora tato te whanau. Uh, my name's Trent Membry, and uh, yeah, I'm a uh, full-time pastor at C3 Auckland. Uh, my beautiful wife and I man- uh, pastor the, the main campus there, and we have four campuses in Auckland, and uh, we've been doing this, I don't know, for about six years pastoring. We're about to actually, in six weeks when we get back to New Zealand, uh, we're about to move up to a place called Whangarei, which is two hours north of Auckland to go and plant some churches up there, we're just going to go. It's the highest rate of depression, highest rate of drug abuse and violence and all that stuff. And I'm just one of those people, wherever darkness is, I'm going in Jesus' name. Because we have the hope of glory and I believe that we have the hope of glory. And, and so I'd love for you guys to pray uh, with us as we go up there because we really just need your prayers. That's it. Because prayer is all we need. People's, a lot of people, that's the last thing they do. Oh, I'll just pray. It's like, no, don't just pray. No, pray. That's the best thing you can do. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And so uh, that's a little bit about us. I'm married to the most hottest and beautiful girl in the world. I've got two beautiful girls, and we both really, really love Jesus. Uh, we burn for Jesus every single day, not just on Sunday, not just because I'm a pastor or anything like that. Everywhere I go, I try and pray for people and bring love, the Father's love and light. I mean, I've been on holiday for this week uh, with Christian McCudden up in Noosa. And, but I just, uh, my wife gets really frustrated with me. You know, she just, can we just go out and not have you pray for people? But, but uh, even just, you know, today we, Christian took me out for a gourmet meal at KFC, as you do after 
at Noosa. <laughs> and uh, we saw 14 people give their hearts to Jesus there this morning. And, and uh, but you know, I just, I just, bro, I just feel, you know, like, like it, it shouldn't be a surprise for us. Like what I'm talking about. Oh, wait, you prayed for someone just during the day or wherever. No, no, it should surprise us if we're not doing that. You know, it should be weird that it's not happening. And, you know, um, so we prayed. I prayed for the guy behind the KFC counter today, and he got really touched by God and gave him a word of knowledge. And and uh, and I just, I just love God. And um, I've come to realize that the church needs people that follow God and not just know God. And I believe there's a lot of people in our church and every church that I go and preach at and maybe some people here that just know God, but we're not called to know God. We're called to follow Him. And that is two different things. To follow Jesus is a lot different than knowing Him. And I want to talk about that here tonight if I can. And I want to speak from John 8, 12 uh, here tonight and then we'll just pray and then at the end of this meeting I'm just going to prophesy and pray for healing give me a wave if you've come here today and you need a miracle in your body or you suffer from depression or from anxiety that, that just, just be bold right now it's okay lift your hand nice and high so I can see it awesome I'm going to pray for you at the end of this meeting and uh, I got a cool little testimony from a girl named Zoe I think she's here tonight over here who last year I got actually a lot of messages from people uh, from your church before coming here around um, stuff that happened last year I was here and I believe Zoe I gave her a word around God's going to heal your depression I didn't know that she had depression I just feel like she had depression and I said it's not going to happen straight away but it's gradually going to leave and I believe over a three month space of time it left and she no longer has depression and that same spirit and that same God can heal you here tonight and so I'm going to speak from John 8, 12 here tonight, and then I'm going to share my story. I'm going to give an invitation for people to know Jesus. Now, you don't need to change anything tonight to meet him. He accepts you as you are. There's a lot of people that aren't in church right now because they think they need to get it all together to, before they come back to church. Wrong. That is the religious spirit, and that is not of God. We come as we are. And, you know, so at the end of this meeting, I'm going to give you that invitation. If you don't know him, we're going to simply say a prayer, and I believe God. You're going to know him, and then you're going to become a follower of him. He's going to turn your world upside down. It's the greatest thing. But John 8, 12 says this, I am the light of this world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Let us pray. Lord, you're awesome, and I thank you tonight that every sickness must leave, that every person that does not know you here tonight, they will leave knowing you. Tears of pain will go from that to tears of joy. And I thank you that today is the day of salvation for many. I thank you for what is about to take place here tonight. You're a good and mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is a statistic going around that in the first two years of, you know, people knowing God, that that's the most on fire time that they'll be on fire for him that they'll be really close to him and connected with him and you know I can't find that in the Bible anywhere I can't read the Bible anywhere and say in the first two years of knowing Jesus that'll be your most on fire God but reality is I see that a lot that you know it's that pink fluffy cloud season and all you know you you want to just tell people about Jesus because you've had this encounter and you've you've felt him but you know 
I don't read that. Anyway, I'm on fire for Jesus more than I ever have been. And I've been following him for 11 years. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing God just move more and more and more because I've got to that point of not just knowing God and I've, I'm, I'm following him. I've laid down my life for him. You know, and, and, and I, get to, I get to meet people that just say, you know, you know, I don't feel it anymore. And after that first two years, I used to feel God or I used to see a lot of things take place, but I don't see that anymore. And there may be people here tonight that that's happened to you, that you may have been following God for some time, but do you know what? You're not actually feeling Him anymore. He's like, I don't know what's going on. But can I just tell you here tonight that we're not called to feel God. We're not called to feel God. The Bible doesn't say anything about feeling God. And you may come here tonight and you may be here for the very first time. We may be coming for a while and you're sort of freaked out a little bit because you're looking at people, maybe, you know, when the worship happens, start, people start shaking or some people make weird no- noises like, whoa, and, you know, people fall over when they get prayed for and stuff like that. Like, awesome. That, that's, that's their thing. But just let me tell you, you don't need to do that to be in relationship with God. You don't need to fall over. You don't need to shake. You don't need to make noises to fit in or be in relationship with God. That is not right. And can I just say there is a trap going on in the church that a lot of people are actually doing that because they think they need to do that to have a relationship with God. We cannot base our relationships on feelings, especially with our Father. That was, that's what we were doing before we got to know God. We just Every decision was made out of feelings. That is wrong. There may be a season when you first meet God and you may feel Him a lot, and that's okay, but there will be a season where God will let your hand go, tap you on the bottom and say, you're off now. Go and live your life and go and preach the gospel and bring the hope. But because if you base your your relationship on feelings, there'll be that season where you don't feel God, and then you'll think because you're not feeling Him, He's not with you anymore. And you'll start thinking that you've done something wrong. That is not right. We are, not to, we are not called to feel God. We're just called to believe. A lot of people will come in and they'll feel the presence of God and they'll be in church for a while, but they'll end up leaving that church because they feel like they don't feel His presence anymore. And they're like, oh, God's presence is not here. I don't feel it. Excuse me, the Bible says that His presence is everywhere. It's always here. It's here. And then they go and chase the feeling or they go and chase the signs and wonders. So they'll go to other churches because they'll see that there's gold dust or there's glory cloud. Look, that's all great and that's all awesome. But we're not called to chase signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are called to chase us. Because the Bible says, let me tell you here today, in Mark 16, 17, 18, it says, signs and wonders follow those who believe. And if I base my relationships on feelings, I would not be here because I've got all the excuses in the world not to be here because I've got all the reasons in the world to say I'm not feeling God anymore. I've had some great days when I walk into church, like praying for that guy and the eczema just fell off his body right in front of my eyes and I prayed for this girl you know, with a back brace and stomach brace doing cartwheels. I mean, the next Sunday, I'm just walking into church on the pulpit as bold as anything. Three months later, I'm in a home holding a four-year-old baby boy filled with leukemia, dying of cancer. And they get me around because I'm the healing evangelist. And I'm sitting in this lounge and I lead his mother and I lead his grandmother to the Lord. And I prayed with everything. Everything I had to see that little boy healed and six days later he died. 
And if I based my relationship on God on feelings, I would not have turned up to church on Sunday because I was not feeling God in that moment. But I'm not called to feel God and I'm not going to dictate have feelings dictate my relationship with God or when I turn up and preach the gospel. I'm called to believe. And you and I are called to believe, not feel. And you'll go through seasons when you'll feel Him. You'll be tangent. You'll be hearing Him all the time. And there'll be seasons that you won't. But guess what? He is still with you. The Bible says He will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me just tell you something. To leave someone is to leave their physical presence. To forsake something is totally different. It says to leave nor forsake. To forsake someone means to emotionally abandon them. Jesus will never, Holy Spirit will never physically leave you, nor He will emotionally abandon you. doesn't matter what you do. He's always there. You can't run from Him no matter what you do. He's always with you. And what our nation needs, what your church needs, what your workplace needs, what your schools need is not knowers of God, is followers of God. That no matter what season they're in, they're following and they're believing in signs and wonders. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, every, I'm nothing special. I don't have anything special. The same God that is in me that is in you. But we need to get out of just thinking, coming to church and lifting our hands and paying our tithes and turning up on Sunday is enough. It's not enough. A nation needs followers of God. People coming in not just on Sunday, having an experience of God, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, having other people experience God through us. And all we have to do is walk into where we go and just tell them that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So I said to Elliot today, Okay, so I said, Jesus loves you, Elliot. He's like, what? Really? What are we talking about? I said, Jesus loves you, bro. And then God just gave me words of knowledge. He went, you know, when you just step out and be obedient, God, that's all he's looking for. And then he starts to give me the download of how people have used his heart and he's got a great heart, but people have abused that. And he goes, that's so right. How do you know that? I said, God, let God just feel you right now, Elliot. This is in the middle of public. It's not in church. Elliot didn't even know a Christian. I didn't even tell him I'm a pastor. He just needs to know that I'm a follower. That I love God. I can't work out God. I wish I could. I can't understand why tonight some of you will be healed. I can't understand why some of you won't. That's reality. But I've come to realize it's like a birthday. Some of you tonight, it's going to be your birthday. It's going to be all about you. And we're all here at your birthday party. And we're going to celebrate the present that God's going to give you here tonight. But that doesn't mean others here tonight are not going to have a birthday. And what we're all going to do is we're going to turn up every week until you, you have your celebration and we're just going to be a part of the birthday party. And that's what I've come to realize, God, who He is. And I'll turn up. If you message me about your prayer requests, I'll continue to pray for the rest of my life for your prayer requests. I'll just keep praying and believing because I'm just going to keep believing. Because I know as I believe, signs and wonders follow me in Jesus' name. I'm no one special, guys. I've just come to believe that the gospel is all I need. I've removed so much of my life to be where I am here today. But I've just come to realize that my greatest challenge and your greatest challenge is not your devotional It's not your discipline. 
It's not your focus. Our greatest challenge is believing the gospel and all of it. That in Romans that it says, believers may know His power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. If the church, every single one of us, not just the leaders, not just Jeremy, not just Teresa, not just the leaders here, that every single believer would believe that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And you take this power into your schools, into your workplace. That that's where we would see our city and our nation change. We've got to get out of thinking of seeing our people come into the church, our towns into the church. No, the church needs to go into the town. And as we do that, as we believe, as we just walk in, say, God, I believe that you're going to use me today. That things will take place. Tonight, I'm so pumped that I'm here to celebrate someone's birthday. And I'm going to believe here tonight that it's your time. Sir, with the black shirt, with the beard, how you doing? Hey, hi. There's no one else behind you with a black beard and long beard and black shirt. Yeah. But Jesus really loves you, bro. He really loves you, man. And uh, like, I just really feel that, you know, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And the devil's going to try and make you really bad, uh, real busy. He's going to try and take away with what's in your heart. There's a fire in your heart, sir. And I believe there's many people watching you right now to make mistakes in your family. They're watching you, this decision that you've done to follow Jesus. But I believe many people are going to come to know you, not because you're telling them about who Jesus is. People don't need to hear the gospel. They need to see it, sir. They need to see the gospel before they hear it. And... The devil's going to do whatever he can in the next three months to make you really busy and take away that fire that is inside of you. Because there is a fire inside of you that can be really contagious. And I hope this is for you right now. But 2018, is like I said to Isaac, is going to be a year that you will talk about for the rest of your life. And God's going to ask you to lay some of the stuff down in your life. And it's going to be okay because you know it's from Jesus. And you're going to go through a bit of a storm. But that's okay, because not every storm is from the devil. When Peter walked on water, if you read a little bit earlier, Jesus actually told them to go into the boat knowing that the storm was coming. So every storm is not always from the devil. Sometimes it's from God. He allows us to go through storms that will grow our faith. And you're going to have an awesome year next year, and you're going to be known as a man of faith in Jesus' name. What's your name, sir? Ollie. Can you stand up, Ollie? Someone stand behind him. Lift your hands, Ollie. Close your eyes and say these words. Holy Spirit, I love you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. There it is, right there. You'll have a season like you are right now, crying a lot, and that's okay. Because you're going to understand the Father's love. It's going to be really rare how you experience Jesus. Father, I thank you right now for Ollie. Let it burn from his head to his toe right now in Jesus' name. Fill, 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 fill in Jesus' name. I felt God once wasn't the greatest moment of feeling God, but it was a pretty awesome moment. 
It was actually at the end of an Alpha course. On the last night of an Alpha course, I just got out of a drug rehabilitation program and Holy Spirit came over me even before I'd given my heart to Jesus. But you see, seven months earlier, I called out to Jesus that I didn't even know was Jesus in a kidnapping in a hotel room. I was kidnapped by gang members. And I called out to a God that I did not know, and I said, God, if you're real, please help me. If you help me, I promise I'll help you. Seven months later, I'm sitting in a rehab church, a Salvation Army church. On the last night of the Alpha Courts, they're talking about a Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon me and said to me, do you remember what you said to me? And I've burned for Jesus from that day ever since. You may be saying, what are you talking about? You're in rehab? Yeah, I was in rehab. See, my life wasn't all cups of teas and cupcakes and awesome. You see, at the age of 19, I got addicted to a drug that is ripping our country apart right now. And from looking on the media and looking on the news, it's ripping your country apart right now. But I got addicted to a drug called methamphetamine. You guys call it ice. We call it pee. I got addicted to this drug really quickly. I got given it by one of a senior member of one of New Zealand's most notorious motorcycle clubs. I was very good friends with this man. I got given this drug, and I got addicted to this drug really quickly. You know, research is saying right now that you don't need to have the disease of addiction to get addicted to methamphetamine. You see, addiction is a disease. You're born with it. But they're saying this drug is now the most addictive drug on this planet, and you don't need to have the disease to get addicted to it. But I was already a greedy drug addict already. I'd been taking drugs since the age of 14, but... I got addicted to this drug really quickly and I developed a $250 to $500 habit a day. I was a bartender and within a year or two I laid down that job and started selling uh, pee because you can make a lot of money and then I ended up starting to manufacture methamphetamine on a large scale for this gang. Um, this you know, you guys know and you read about these gangs, you know, this brotherhood that they sell to many men and even women, and there's maybe people here today that your family is, you know, caught up with in this world, but I I got hooked. This new family that they sold, you know, I sold out to it. And so I ended up getting rid of all my family and friends that I had association with. The only time I would go back and see my family was to actually sell them drugs. And I'm the youngest of four children, and I actually ended up getting my whole family addicted to methamphetamine. I watched my my oldest sister in one year lose her marriage, lose her kids, lose her home, and lose her business in one year because of methamphetamine. And I was manufacturing, ended up manufacturing this drug for. A number of years, I had my own guys that would make it. I wouldn't make it myself. Um, and I'd make up to sometimes $300,000 a week for these guys. Uh, in one scenario, it was really weird. I had a light bulb moment where, you know, we all know that money rules this world and money absolutely rules that world. And there was a moment where different gang members come to, to try and do business with me uh, without actually paying the club. Uh, Jeremy was really funny because when I came to church, you know, they talked about giving 10%. Well, back in that world, I had to give the club 30%. So when I came into church, I was like, mate, this is awesome. I need to give 10. <laughs> it's awesome. 
And but these guys are like, oh, the club doesn't need to know and all this stuff. And then I realized in that moment that this whole brotherhood was all just to have. These guys were all out for each other. Money rules the world and money rules that world. And so for some reason, I just detached myself from that world. I just was like, man, I've laid my life down for these guys for the last seven years and this is all just to have. And so for some reason, I just detached. And in my last year of using, I became an, an absolute monster. I literally was using to die. I didn't want to live anymore because I just caused so much destruction. I was seeing all the hurt and pain that I'd done in the world around me and seeing my family destroyed and everything. And, and so I literally would just was using to die. And I've done some really horrible stuff to people. I've emotionally scarred people for life. I've physically scarred people for life. There are no longer marriages and families together any longer because of me. And through the grace of God, I've been able to go make amends to some of those people. But I became a really dark and scary person where in those years beforehand I was someone that was always in the shadows you know you'd never see me doing business out anything I was, I was a man that was really behind the scenes but in this last year I didn't give a stuff about who saw me or what I did and you know one time I had this guy that you know was saying really bad stuff about me I just um, actually met a girl named Jade who's now my wife and we'd within the first three months uh, together we'd actually had a baby uh, you think my story's pretty crazy. You want to hear my wife's story. She, when I met her, she was doing a $200,000 drug deal. She was going out with a man that was supplying half of Auckland's meth scene. But uh, Jade and I fell in love, and I took Jade off the guy, as you do. And uh, she fell pregnant, and uh, this guy was saying some really bad stuff about me, like he was the father of my child, which means that him and Jade, you, you know what I mean. And then was also saying a lot of bad stuff around money that I stole and all this stuff. And so I was actually paying people to actually find this guy. Like I didn't give a stuff, you know, where he was going to be or whatever, but I, was, I just wanted to kill this guy. And so one day I remember uh, my sister, my older sister rang me and said, I think I've found the guy. You know, I just give a description of his car and what it looked like. And, and then um, she said, I've, I've seen the Sabari Legacy with the orange sticker. And I said, come get me right now. Come get me. And this is broad daylight, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon down. It's like Auckland Main Street, like Brisbane Main Street. At the bottom there's a street called Key Street. And he was at a place called Frank Allen Tires. A mate of his ran the, the, the tire shop and he had cars and had all his mags there. And so I turned up there and I jumped out of the car and I yelled out to him, Yo, what's up, bro? And he turned around and he went absolutely white because he knew what was about to happen to him. And I used to carry weapons on me. Um, I used to really like knives. Um, I actually still do. I have a few, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> but I used to carry this really awesome, I ended up losing it, but uh, I had this really awesome six-inch blade that I used to carry, and I pulled it out of the back of my pocket. In broad daylight, hundreds of people around, I held this knife up to his throat, people running off, freaking out, calling the cops. Now, if it wasn't for my sister in the car in the passenger seat screaming out in that moment, don't do it, don't do it, Trent, don't do it, just don't do it, I would have shanked that guy right there and there. I would have cut him to bits. But I ended up just taking all his vehicles off him and giving him a bit of a hiding and all this stuff. I mean, that's, that's, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care if people were seeing me. I didn't care if the police came. I mean, that's how bad it got. But in the you know, last few months of my using, it just got really, really bad. And no one was doing business with me. It was just getting out of control. And then Jade had had enough. And one day, I remember I went out to go get some milk from, from the 7-Eleven store, and I came out of the 7-Eleven store, and a friend of mine pulled up in a car, and he said to me, hey, bro, you want to come for a quick puff? 
which is to go and smoke meth. And I was like, oh, I had the bottle of milk in my hand. Do I take that home or do I go for a quick puff? And being a greedy little drug addict, I jumped in the car and went for a quick puff. That puff ended up being a five-day bender. And that was a usual lifestyle of a meth addict. Usually a hard, a hard meth addict would stay awake for four or five nights a week and sleep for two or three days. But on the last day of that five days, I remember going to a hotel room. A friend of mine had a hotel room. And I walked into this hotel room and he grabbed me straight away and said, hey, bro, I need to talk to you. And he pulled me into a room and said, did you see that girl on the couch? I was like, yeah, I know her. What's up? And he goes, she's ripped off a gang member, $30,000. And I said, oh, that's a bad day. And he told me who the gang member was. And I knew the gang guy because it was from the gang that I was affiliated with. So I grabbed her and told her to come into the room and said to her, you need to get that money back right now. He will spend $200,000 hunting you down. He doesn't care about the money. You've brought shame upon his name. He will hunt you down. She's like, he's not going to find me, bro. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all good. I said, it's over for you. I give you three days. Anyway, she was getting texts from her accomplice. It was her and another guy that had ripped the guy off. And I had been on it for five days, as I said, and so I needed to go home because I hadn't slept, I hadn't eaten or drunk, whatever. And she asked me if I could drop her to this other motel where the guy that she, the accomplice was at, and he had bought a whole lot of drugs and stuff like that. She said, can you drop me to the, ho- the motel? I said, yeah, it's on my way, let's get in the car. Anyway, we drove there and we pulled up and she said to me, hey, do you want to come in for a quick puff? He's bought some gear and I was like, oh, yeah. Being a greedy little drug addict, you all know what I did. I went in for a quick puff. And I remember it really clearly. I remember walking... Uh, with her right in front of me she was in front of me and she bangs on the door and the door opens and I remember going that's weird there's no one standing in front of her and I was like that's weird and she walks in and as she walked in this massive hand just grabbed her hair and pulled her in and I walked in I was like whoa what's going on and there's the door and door open there and I came around and I was like what and all of a sudden I had this hard cold piece of steel stuck to my head and I don't know if you've ever had a double barrel shotgun stuck to your head but it's a real frightening moment and I turned around the corner of the door and there on one of the bed was the gang member that they'd ripped off her accomplice was lying on the floor black and blue and two of his associates were there see it wasn't her it wasn't him texting her it was actually the gang and and because I walked in with her they thought I was involved with ripping them off and this guy knew me and I said to him bro you know I wouldn't rip rip a dollar off any of you guys but you know he just wanted money and just wanted to pay me back and so they ended up kidnapping us for the next two days there and uh, beating me black and blue and you know I'm not going to stand up here and say that I was the man and you know I took it like a champ can I just tell you that I was I was a really scared little boy in that moment because I don't know if you know when you read on media these people actually kill people and I thought I was going to die in that moment they stripped me naked. They didn't sexually abuse me, but they, they tried to strip me of my manhood. And guess what? They, they stripped me of my manhood. They broke me. And I remember I thought, man, all the money in the world wasn't going to get me out of this. Because like, I had no more money. People ripped me off. Everyone I was doing business with just wouldn't happen. I couldn't call upon any, anyone to help me because I disconnected from the gang. And, and so there was a moment where I thought, maybe I can just slip out the bathroom window in this motel and I remember walking to the thing I said I'm just going to go to the toilet and they were clever enough to think what I was about to do so I went to shut the door and they said bro we're keeping the door open and I remember walking in and I remember really clearly I remember walking in and seeing this little medicine cabinet on the on the door on the wall and I shut the medicine cabinet there was a little mirror there and I saw myself for the very first time and I was just black and blue with Humpty Dumpty's all over my face And all I could think about in that moment is that uh, 
that I was never going to see my baby, my little baby girl that was at home. I'd never see her again. And my baby was going to grow up not having a father. That's all I could think about. And I tell you now, no one's ever preached the gospel to me. No one's ever told me about the father's love. But I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a situation like that, it's desperation comes to you. And in that moment, I screamed, not audibly so they could hear me, but I screamed inside of me looking at that mirror. And I said these words, I said, I said, I don't want to die. God, please help me. I don't want to die. I want to see my baby. Please help me. And I said these words. I said, if you help me, I promise I'll help you, but please help. And I don't actually remember too much after that moment because I'd been awake now for seven days. They'd beaten me black and blue in the last two days. And, and so I was just blacking in and out of consciousness. And then I remember hearing an argument in the room. And then I remember coming to and all of a sudden I was getting driven home. And there was another gang member that I used to do business with had somehow come into the scenario and had pulled me out and was just saying like, bro, what the heck are you doing here, man? Like, you shouldn't be here. And I was just like, bro, please help me. Just drop me home. And he dropped me home and and I ended up getting home and actually Jade in that seven days had actually had enough and actually packed the house up and had actually left the home. And I broke into her home and found out that she had left and I fell on the fetal position. And uh, Jade came home maybe a day later to get the last of the boxes and found me on the floor in the fetal position. And she said, what has happened to you? And I said, please help me. I don't want to be like this anymore. And through the grace of God, I was able to get quickly into a drug rehabilitation program when I went into that drug rehabilitation program. While I was in the rehab, uh, in the rehab Jade started going to church, a church could see three church. And when I came out of rehab, she said to me, uh, hey, you know, it's so good. Uh, hey, I'm going to church now. Now you should come. And I said, you go to church, babe. Church is, church is awesome for you. And um, I found out later that her and her mum were sort of, you know, working together to plan to try and get me to church somehow and and then one day her cousin who's a youth pastor was speaking at a Salvation Army Recovery Church and she said to me hey do you want to come hear my cousin speak and I said you go to church babe it's all good she said hey it's actually at the rehab recovery church you'll know some of the guys there some of the bros you can catch up with them and I was like yeah actually I'll go catch up with some of the bros awesome so we went to the Salvation Army rehab and he was preaching and I don't remember a thing that he said I don't even remember the meeting I don't know nothing I think I fell asleep maybe and uh and then at the end of the meeting supposedly the Salvation Army captain the minister stood up and said, hey, we're running an alpha course at the end, uh, starting next week for six weeks. If you want to join the alpha course, all the big questions about God, come and see me. Anyway, my wife comes running up to me. She's like, hey, we should do that alpha course thing that he was talking about. I was like, what alpha course? She goes, what he was just talking about. I was like, what was he talking about? She goes, were you even listening? I was like, no. And she goes, let's go do the alpha. I said, babe, honestly, this stuff's good for you. I'm not into it. Religion is the most corruptest thing on the planet. I'm not into it. And I still believe that today, actually. And sh give me a wave if you're married here. Men, give me a wave. Awesome. Who knows that wives are really wise? Yeah, yeah, amen. Hey, bro. <laughs> That's what my wife said to me. She said to me, you've just got out of rehab. In three days' time, it's my birthday and you have no money. For my birthday, you're going to come do the Alpha course. She, you know what my response was? My response was, I can't wait to do the Alpha course. 
Jade's cousin, the youth pastor, picked us up for five weeks. On the last week of the Alpha, uh, the Alpha course, they were not going to do the last week, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, because the Salvation Army captains are not Spirit-filled. So Jade's cousin was like, I'll do the last week. So he said, oh, it wasn't going to happen, but we'll do it anyway. So we did it. And then we were going there, and Jade's at the table taking notes, and I'm just sitting there just like, what am I doing here? Looking over at some of the brothers was half asleep, and some of the even Salvation Army captains were asleep because they weren't really involved. And then all of a sudden, Jade's cousin, who's speaking like me, like I am to you right now, is speaking, and all of a sudden, his voice just stops, but his lips are still moving. And I'm looking at him going, what the heck's going on? It's just silent. And then all of a sudden, a presence came over me. And I've only felt this presence ever once, and it was like a fire. And I know the Bible talks about the fire of God, and I believe that's the thing that came over me. I actually thought for a second there that one of the brothers from the rehab had injected me with a thing of something or something, because I was like, what the heck is happening to me right now? And then all, it wasn't an audible voice, and it's so hard for me to describe, but a voice came over me and said these words to me, Trent, son, do you remember what you said to me? You said to me, if I helped you, you promised that you would help me. I am he. And I was like, burning, like, like literally. And all of a sudden, Ross, Jade's cousin's voice started coming back. And, and I don't know, he must have been speaking for a while, I don't know, but he'd got to the finish, to the end of his talk. And he's standing there going, so... Hey, so it's been a really good six weeks, and has anyone learned anything, or does anyone want to get up and say anything? I don't know what came over me. I don't know what, but I just stood up out of my seat. And I was like, hey, my name's Trent Memory. Seven months ago, I got kidnapped by gang members, and I called out to a God that I did not know, and I said to him, if he helped me, I promise I'll help me. And I've come to realize, I'm pretty sure there's a few F-bombs in it by that stage, but that's right. I said, I promise, I promise him that he will help me, and I've just come to realize that dude, Jesus, that you've been talking about, the long ego, I think he's the God that helped me. I think it's him. I think it's him. What do I do next? And all some of the guys that were asleep had woken up, and they're like, yeah, bro. And then Jade's cousin was standing there, Weeping, 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 because I came to realize that he had been praying for Jade and I and all our drug addiction. His cousin, Jade's cousin, had been praying for her cousin and her dropkick boyfriend. And don't you start praying. Stop praying for your friends and family. Don't you stop praying for the people that aren't living for God. Because I'm standing here as a product of prayer. And three, months, three days later, I walked into C3 Church and a man named Pastor Dean Rush preached the message. And he said, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, and I ran to the altar and I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you saved me because now I'm a father and I'm so thankful. And I'll stop, never stop thanking God. And don't you lose your desperation when you first met Jesus. And I've seen God do miraculous things. Amazing thing. Gee, I'm a pastor now, but I've seen God do incredible things. I know I've only got about a few minutes left, and we're going to pray for people. I'll just share with one story with you really quickly. About five years later, Jade and I became campus pastors at a place called C3 Monaco, and we were there for about a year. And one day I was standing in my home, and I heard Jade on the phone, and I could hear that it was from her best friend. I heard she was talking to her best friend, Mia. And her best friend, Mia, was now caught up in drug addiction. She was a meth addict. But I could hear 
the conversation and she was like, yeah, me, I'm here for you, babe. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, awesome, babe. It's going to be all right. Trin and, Trin and Jade, uh, Trin and I have got clean. And Yeah, do you want to come to church? So I'm sitting there listening going, oh, awesome. Mia's coming to church and awesome. And then she gets off the phone and she runs up to me and she's like, babe, Mia's reached out. She needs help. And I was like, so good, darling. She goes, she's going to come to church this Sunday. I was like, awesome. She goes, yeah, she's going to bring her boyfriend with her as, as well. I was like, cool. She goes, she's going to bring her boyfriend, Dan. I was like, sweet, Dan. And she goes, no, Trent, she's bringing Dan. I was like, yeah, Dan, awesome. Dan the man, whatever. And she goes, no, Trent, Dan Gray. I don't know if you remember the story about the guy that I wanted to kill, the number one public enemy, the guy that I hunted down, that I paid people to find, the guy that I held a knife to his throat in broad daylight. His name's Dan Gray. And she said, she's bringing Dan this Sunday. I'll tell you what my response was, Jeremy. My response was, man, there's plenty of other churches in Auckland. It's like the Baptist church is awesome. Honestly, I like the Baptist church, life church. Husbands, who knows that wives are really wise? Give me away. Yeah, this is what my wife said to me. She goes, is that what Jesus would do? (laughs) Pull out my knife. No, 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 no. Pastor Jeremy, I remember that Sunday really clearly because I was preaching. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've ever preached a message, Pastor Jeremy or Christian, knowing that someone in the audience is someone that you nearly killed. <laughs> I tell you now, it gets really awkward when you give an invitation for people to receive Jesus and the only person that lifts their hand is the person that you nearly killed. I humiliated that man that day. And I stood up. And I said, Dan, come out of your seat. I want to pray for you. And in front of my whole church, I got on my knees and I asked him for forgiveness. And I said, Dan, I'm so sorry for what I did for you. Did to you. But Jesus is awesome, bro. And he can do the same what he did for me, for you, bro. And I led him to Jesus that day. Would you be okay? For the person that's hurt you, the person that you despise, would you be okay if he came into church next week? Because if you're a follower of God and not a knower of God, it would be totally okay. And I led that man to Jesus in front of my church. Check this out. I'm now the grandfather, I'm the godfather of his children now. A year and a half, year and a half later, I had the privilege of marrying Dan and Mia. I've got a photo of them here. Amazing. You see, it's not about my encounter. It's what I've done with it that really counts. And we've all had an encounter. My question to you is, have you made it count? Maybe the fire's gone out and you're not feeling God anymore and you're just sitting back just going, oh, I'm just the person that knows God and I come to church. But you're not burning for Him every single day. You're not feeling Him. Guess what, friend? It's not about that anymore. We're called to believe and we're called to just go after this thing every day of our life. And I've gone after this thing every single day of my life. And I believe here today that people here, you're Christians, but 
I feel a part of my calling is to bring Christians back to Christ. And here today, if you haven't made your encounter count, I want you at the end of this meeting to come and stand on this altar and say, God, I'm sorry and repent that you're not number one, that I haven't used my encounter count. Because it's not about my encounter, really. Salvation is 5% of this journey. I've now seen 70 friends and family come to Christ. All of my brothers and sisters, all of our mums, all of these people have come to Christ. My oldest sister that lost everything, got everything back. In church, lifting her hands, got her kids back. Now one of the New Zealand's top project managers in New Zealand. Got everything back. All because of what she saw. Not because of what she heard of me, but what she saw in me. And let me ask you this, what are people seeing? Are they seeing someone that is following Jesus, that is burning for him every single day? Or are they just seeing someone that posts photos up on Sunday of being in church? But we are called to burn for him. And we are called to live a life, life and life to the full. And that means going out every single day, wherever we are, and letting them know that Jesus loves them.